Thank you, Brookie. I'd just like to thank Pastor Rick for his sunglasses. You know, probably, you were probably one of the first people lined up to go and watch the movie, were you, Rick? <laughs> yes, he wishes. Good morning, everyone. How are you? I'll do it again because um, I have been looking forward to uh, the Bond movie, but even more importantly, that I can't wait for Top Gun to come out. Are there any of you who actually remember going? Yeah, all four of us. Um, I can actually remember going uh, to that movie. Mum actually let me. Uh, that was one miracle uh, to go and check out uh, Top Gun, and apparently it's happening too. I don't know when. But when it does happen, uh, I'll definitely be going to see that one. Car and I'll be going gold class. What do you reckon? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Listen, it's great to be back. We've just come back from two and a half weeks holiday. I'm not exactly sure why we picked the other half, but it sounded good. Uh, it sounds better, two and a half weeks. Those of you who've ever been up to Yapoon, uh, that is a part of God's uh, country up there. That is magnificent. If you haven't had a chance, do do it. We didn't go across to the Keppel because Kara doesn't really like boats. Uh, but our friends who went over there said the snorkeling was fantastic. So uh, definitely worth a look. And, if, and the last week we got to spend up at Double Island Point. Uh, we left Monday because we got washed off the island. It was time to come home. But uh, it's wonderful to be back home with you. Congratulations, Year 12s. And also, I know that there are some people out there who've just finished, because uh, I can see on, on uh, Facebook, some people have had their last exams. So if you've just graduated from uni or you've just finished at uh, Avondale or wherever you've just finished, congratulations to you guys. But give them a round of applause too. <laughs> yes, we, so, we are so glad because next year our bank account is going to start to gradually build up. So we would, I'd like to congratulate Cara, because we got Dylan through. <laughs> Dylan, don't you fail that last assessment. Just a spider swing. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, I want to share a sermon. While you're on holidays, it's probably not a good thing to be actually thinking about what you need to preach. Uh, but... I was sort of thinking about it because I knew that it was going to be a short turnaround from when we got home uh, to today. And I've been just, just thinking about my grandfather who passed away like 25 years ago. And uh, he, he was a handsome devil. I've got a picture of him. If we could uh, throw that up. It's actually a picture of him with my grandmother. Now, look at those ears. <laughs> wow, they are good looking ears. Uh, Dad, Dad. I don't actually ever remember him with hair, so this photo is quite unique, because by age 21, he was completely bald, except that tiny little, like, 14 hairs that would grow at the back of his neck. And uh, Dada was an incredible man, a very small guy. Uh, I, I, I'm only 5 foot 11, but I would actually literally tower over him. He was about 5 foot tall. He was one of 10 children, and he was number 9. Now, he's got a younger brother, uh, and him and his younger brother, I'm going to share a little story about them in a moment, but he was, I guess, being the youngest, um, 
one of the youngest, he learned to fend for himself. They didn't have very much, they're very poor, uh, but they just learned to be happy with what was around them. He grew up in Albany, WA, and his dad passed away when he was four. And at age four, now, for those of us here today, uh, like, you know, blended families, sadly, it's part of something that happens in our society today. But could you imagine being a man who would be willing to take on 10 children that weren't your own? Could you imagine that? A gentleman took on Dad Dad and all of his siblings, and of course his mum, and they moved to Kalgoorlie, and that's where my grandfather grew up most of his life in Kalgoorlie in WA. He finished school. He was a very, very sporty guy. Um, while he was only five foot tall, he jumped over his own height. Um, he, was, he was an incredible jumper, very good AFL player. And uh, but by the time he finished school, which was about year eight or nine, uh, he decided that he wanted to use the thing that he was very good at, and that was his hands. Now, it skips generations, apparently. It skipped me when it comes to being practical. But Dad Dad was incredible. He's the sort of guy, uh, when I was listening to Gus and Joe this morning, their whole life is the way that you are living your life. It's exactly how he lived his life. At age 20, he decided that he needed to do more. So his brother and himself decided to move. Now, for you and I, when it comes to traveling in today's day and age, we can talk about driving 1,000 k's in a day. It's a long drive. I've done it a few times. But 1,000 k's isn't too far. But for some of us, we can also think there's been times when we could travel where I'd go from, from Brisbane all the way over to uh, perhaps the UK or Europe in one flight, straight across to the middle of the US in one flight. But Dad Dad, in 1928, in the heart of the Great Depression, uh, sorry, his name's Charles for you, but Dad Dad for me, uh, Charles decided that he wanted to go to Bible college at Avondale College. Now, I pulled out Mr. Google Map just to find out how far that is, because I've never driven to WA. I know it's a long way, but it's 3,997 kilometres. Now, I want to show you a picture of what they used for their voyage. So if we can jump to that next slide. This here is a 1924 motorbike, and it's a rare motorbike because you could actually fit two on it. Um, because most of the motorbikes back then just had a seat, like a push bike seat for your bottom, and then that was it. Whereas this actually had a second seat. Now, Dad Dad being a mechanic, a very, very good mechanic, uh, he decided he got that bike all ready to go and then worked out if they had enough money. My mum, when I was talking to her this week, she said the best way to define the way that Dad Dad grew up is they were as poor as church mice. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I'm guessing they didn't have too much money to rub together. They were as poor as church mice. They had enough money to cover the cost of the fuel. 3,997 kilometers. Now, at that point in time, as you rode across the Nullarbor, the road was dirt, and it was covered in corrugations, and it was covered in bulldust. So they rode for just over six days, and they were riding between 12 to 14 hours a day. Could you imagine sitting on that thing across the Nullarbor with bulldust and heat, because college had started in February, 
and they rode the whole way across there, him and his brother, and they had two little suitcases about this big. And inside those suitcases, just small little ones, were all of their clothes. And they didn't have enough money during that three-year period to buy new clothes. The clothes they had that they took with them were the clothes that they had for the three years. Now, when they would go to college back in those days, it was a missionary college, when they would actually go to college, you would actually have to wear a suit jacket, a white shirt, a tie, long pants, and nice shoes every morning to worship. You would actually have to wear that. Of course, you'd need to wear it for church and for Friday night vespers and for any other programs that were church-related. My grandfather was so poor, my mum describes it, is that in that day and age, you could actually buy a shirt for someone that didn't have a lot of money. And all it included was the front of the shirt. And it would actually have the collar and around the back, and you'd put your tie on it, but it had no sleeves and it had no back of the shirt. So for the three years, he wore that shirt. <laughs> By the time he graduated, he was praying that no one would come up and just touch on the material of the shirt because it, would, it was that thin. Uh, it would actually tear apart. Eventually, they arrived at Avondale College on that thing to study for the next three and a half years uh, to become missionaries. After the three years, you were meant to be married. Now, dating was intriguing back in those days. I would love some of you guys, all of you guys over here. This is a good thing for you. Uh, dating was boys this side, girls that side. If a boy looked at a girl, you're expelled. If a girl looked at a boy, she's probably warned because uh, boys are the trouble. No, but, but seriously, that, that was how it was. But apparently through this impossibility of meeting anyone, you're still meant to get married. So Dad was smart. Charles was smart. He actually became mates uh, with my grandmother's brother. And uh, the brother and sister could meet once a week at Bethel Hall at college. And he would actually exchange notes to her and she would exchange notes. After one year, she went down to Sydney Adventist Hospital and uh, to do her nursing. Now, this is stage two because a man on a mission and he's going to find a woman, a wife. Now, this is about to get interesting for you guys. Let's have a look at this, this next slide. Uh, yeah, he did get married, that's true. Uh, is there one of a push bike? There it is. This here is a 1920s push bike, one speed. Um, my grandfather owned and modified this push bike, and he would actually, to go down and see her, there was no trains. Couldn't afford a car, the bike was stuffed. He would actually ride his push bike from Avondale College to Sydney Adventist Hospital, Warunga, to go and visit her. Now, at that point in time, there was not what is considered now the M1 or the freeway, the F1, whatever it's called, and Warunga. It, back in the day, my mother remembers it would take her three hours to drive down to Sydney from, from Kurumbong. But that was when the road was tar. Dad Dad in 1930-31, as he rode this push bike down to Warunga, uh, would actually have to ride that push bike on the dirt road. And it would take him between six to seven hours to get down there. 
The road was so bad, there were sections he was worried that the tires would blow out, so he'd actually carry his bike. Now, men, this is what you need to do for your women. You need to be like Charles Tucker. And he would carry his bike, get down there, and spend an hour with her. That was all he was allowed. Then he would turn around and go back home in the dark. Now, apparently, as he tired, and it is tiring chasing women, as he tired, he would sleep on the edge of the freeway. Or at that stage, it was a single lane dirt road. And then he would wake up in the middle of the night and go down. To define how poor he was, and I grew up around Kurumong, and I know about the mosquitoes, and Avondale, <laughs> it's sort of built around a mozzie area. Uh, my grandfather was, grew, grew up in Kalgoorlie where there were less mosquitoes, and he could not get any sleep with all the mozzies. And he wrote home to his mum and said, Mum, the mosquitoes are keeping me up. Uh, could you send me some just some material to put over me to cover me from the mozzies. And all she could afford, mum remembers it and reflects on it, is a one metre by one metre sec section of mosquito cloth. And he would put it over his head and at least cover his face and the top part of his body. And for the next two and a half years, that's what he used to keep the mozzies off me. Man on a mission. My grandfather... And we saw the wedding photo. I might just flick back to eventually a missionary in Vanuatu. It was then called the New Hebrides. My grandfather, uh, whilst he went to study about the Bible, he was a man of his hands. He was incredibly inventive, and it was these things that God would actually use. Because I believe that God has given us all different gifts. Some of you right here as year 12, as you've just finished and everyone's telling you you should be doing, doing this and doing that. But you know what? For some of you, you are going to use these. And uh, Grady, congratulations on your apprenticeship, mate. Very happy to hear that because you're like, Dad, Dad, use your hands. Congratulations. And the reality is, God gave Dad, Dad an incredible gift. For the first 12 months, he would be a missionary and he looked after the mission boat, boat fleet. Uh, in Vanuatu, beautiful island of Aori. I was lucky enough to visit it in year 11 when I was in school, and it is picture perfect. It is whatever you could imagine paradise to look like, that is what Aori is. So while Dad Dad worked there in charge of, as the chief mechanic of all the boats, uh, it was a beautiful place. After 12 months, he came back and married my grandmother, and they moved back, and for the next several years, uh, they would be missionaries in Aori. Being the nurse, she worked at the hospital in Aori, and my grandfather, of course, looked after the boats. My grandfather had a really crazy sense of humour. And I think when you're on a mission for God, you don't leave your sense of humour at the door. God actually gave you the personality to use it for him. And uh, there's a picture of my grandfather in a kangaroo. And if we can just... Uh, there it is. Now... This, I think, is probably the first sighting of a kangaroo in Vanuatu ever. Because Dad Dad, his sense of humour was, wouldn't it be funny, after I get married, to take a kangaroo back to Aori? Now, it goes against everything to do with customs and uh, animal cruelty. Any good mission, if you share this with me, I might have to kill you. Uh, that's a different series. 
uh, to the bond. But anyway, Dad Dad had a kangaroo at Aori, and he was already playing tricks on a lot of the islanders, and he got on so well with the, the young boys who were at the boarding school and, and the people who lived on Aori. And the islanders of Vanuatu, they're just the most beautiful people. And Dad Dad took the kangaroo as a joke. It was his pet kangaroo. I mean, who has a pet kangaroo? But uh, Dad Dad had a pet kangaroo. And uh, he took it over there, and my mum said the funny thing about this kangaroo, it's sad, but funny, um, is that when he went back in his 70s, uh, he, he preached at their church in Aori and spoke about the kangaroo, and some of the old people went, it was you. <laughs> they knew who he was, the kangaroo man. And uh, sadly, the kangaroo actually died during an earthquake. It um, hadn't experienced earthquakes in Australia, so the land started doing funny things. It jumped up and um, might have concussed itself and passed away. But when you're on a mission, yeah, it's a sad story, but uh, <laughs> didn't want to go into the gruesome details, but I did. But Dad Dad knew that being on a mission, you didn't leave your personality at home. You actually still needed to maintain who you were as a person. And while he might have been poor financially, he was rich in God. Very rich in God. And I think I've got one more picture, do I? This is a picture of my grandfather a few years down the track towards the end of his mission time. Uh, with some other families uh, in beautiful um, New Hebrides, or Vanuatu as we call it today. My grandfather dedicated 16 years of his life uh, to not living in Australia and not earning the same money that you could earn in Australia, but to go and richly bless other people with the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Heems to actually be on a mission for God. It's a completely different mindset and it's a mindset that I, in my life, uh, want to emulate my granddad. Before we begin, I'd invite you to pray with me. Lord, I uh, want to thank you for being a wonderful God. And uh, today, as we open up your word, I pray that we too are inspired to not just have careers, or not just have jobs, or, or, but to also be able to say, I'm actually here, I'm placed on this world um, to make a difference for you. Uh, please be with us. Amen. There's a gentleman in the Bible, and his name is Abram. Some of you will think Abram. I'm not sure of that gentleman. But you will know him by his name that God dedicated to him down the track as Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation. He is an incredible example of what it, what it means to be a man on a mission for God. Today, we're going to look at four different phases of his life. And like all of us can have different stages and, and different parts of our life that we can reflect back on. But for him, the first stage I want to look at is his call. Because there are many of us who go and do, but there are some who are called. And it doesn't matter what job or what career that you have, if you are open to the calling of God, God will direct and use you in incredible, incredible ways. In Genesis 12, if you've got your phones, I actually haven't put up the text today because I thought, you're welcome to open your phones or your Bible uh, to Genesis 12. We actually pick up the story of Abram or Abraham, and it's an incredible story of a man who 
decides to leave everything back at home. Now, the reason I decided to preach on Abraham is because it reminded me a lot of my granddad, dad, dad, Charles Tucker. In verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. The next part of the story is incredible because you would think that this is a conversation between a man of God and God. And at any point in life, when God actually comes along and taps you on the shoulder, you can make a choice. You can make a choice to go, yeah, not me, uh, not yet. I've got about, I don't really write big lists. Akara could write a list for me. Um, I've got like a thousand things, reasons why, bad timing, uh, for whatever, I can't do it. But here, the Bible tells us in the next verse, which we pick up, so Abraham, Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, Lot went with him. Now, the next part of it is important, because I always thought he was probably a young buck. But when I read this, it actually tells me something very different, because Abram was 75 years old. Now, when I read this and I'm thinking about his age, I'm thinking, he was 75 years old. Surely at 75, God's had your peace with him. Um, next year, uh, and I think there's a few of us that refresh, uh, next year I hit a milestone year, um, halfway to somewhere, and uh, I'm going to turn to big 50 next year, oh mercy. Um, but here, God is actually calling Abram out of his comfortableness, out of his life, out of his success story and saying, at age 75, God has something he wants you to do. He has something that he wants you to do. And we didn't mention him today, but we all know John and Jean. And if you don't, just nod. That's okay. John and Jean. John actually had a fall and had to go to hospital last night. Um, hurt himself. I... Don't know all the details yet, but I know that potentially some stuff could have broken. He's in his 80s, mid to late 80s. John is a man who is on a mission for God too. You know, when I went around to do his anointing, uh, it was so incredible. We're sitting there with his neighbor who has nothing to do with God, and yet uh, John is in his life, so he's got something to do with God. John's role is to go and let kids cross the road with his stop-go sign. So he's in his mid-80s. <laughs> I'm glad his eyesight and hearing is good. Um, and he's there with his stop-go sign 20 years ago when he'd retired, and he was still doing that. A young girl would walk past with her violin case, and every day he would say, you're practicing hard, sweetie? Yep, yep. Now that young girl is a concert violinist. Our job doesn't end our mission doesn't end as we start to click over the years. Our mission does not end. So Abraham departed in verse 4 with his wife and his nephew Lot, and off they went, and they travelled. 
I'm not going to say Abraham always made the best choices. There was a couple of occasions where he actually lied uh, to the Pharaoh king because they, they saw his wife and Sarah was very beautiful. And uh, he lied about her, saying, oh, she's a sister or a relative. And, and uh, there were some cursings happened to the people in Egypt. And they came up to him and said, what's wrong? And Abraham had to confess and say, ah, it's actually my wife. They said, why did you not just tell us the truth? So they needed to leave Egypt. When they actually came to the promised land, you know the next part of the next phase of his life, and this is the truth of all of us, is that we are going to have times when we need growth phases in our life with God. And it was so with our friend Abram. Because in Genesis 13, we pick up in verse 2, Abraham became very wealthy in Egypt with livestock, silver and gold. In verse 5 of chapter 13, Abraham and Lot needed to separate. So they came, they came to this countryside and, and they were up in the mountain area and while there was some good land for the cattle, it was harder country to look after the cattle and the sheep and the goats. And then there were these beautiful pastures down near Sodom and Gomorrah and, and God continued to bless Lot and his family, and they, be, they multiplied in richness and wealth. And Abram, Abram was a smart man, and he said to his nephew, it's time for us to separate. We cannot look after our current livestock and the land where we're living. You would think that Lot, being the younger, would have said, you're an older man, Abraham, why don't you go to the valley? But no. Lot was selfish. And Lot actually says to his uncle, the country down near Sodom and Gomorrah is very similar to down in Egypt. Uh, I'll choose to go down there with my family and my livestock. Of course you would, Lot. Good on you, mate. But Abraham didn't hold it as a grudge. He blessed him and sent him on his way. And then Abraham continues to look after continues to look after his flock up in the countryside. Well, we know that there would come a time for Lot where he would make, need to make a decision for God. Now, in the areas where Lot decided to live were lots of little kingdoms. Now, for each one of us here today, when we talk about a nation, we usually talk a minister or a president that looks after it. Back in those days, if you had a city... Uh, and a tiny little area around you, you could become the king of that small city. And at that point in time, there was some internal feuding going on, and there were five kings over here, and there were four kings over there, and, and they built some alliances and decided to have a war against each other. But the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot lived, um, picked the wrong side, and they lost the battle. And unfortunately for Lot and his livestock and his family, they got in the middle of this battle. And in the middle of this battle, they get taken hostage. But one of Lot's family is able to escape. And he runs and he finds Abram, Abraham. And he comes to him and he says, our master Lot, we've been, he's, he's been taken into captivity. We've lost our livestock. We've lost our wealth. Um, all of our family, the wives, the kids, they're all... Uh, they're all in peril. Abraham 
This gives you an idea of how big his family was becoming. Abraham grabs 318 young fighting men that were from his family. <laughs> now, this is a serious family. 318 fighting men. Now, for some of us older guys, we could be the generals. What do you think, Gus? Four-star general. I could be a three-star general, if you like. Um, we could have, well, we could have uh, Mr. Wareham. He could be a five-star general, because he's a bit higher up than us. <laughs> Mr. Baird was here. He could be the, he could be, he could be the king. Um, and all of you guys over here, they could be our fighting men and women. What do you reckon? They're young, they're fit. Um, Brady, you can look after your row. Um, Boston, I know it's a tough row for you, but you can look after yours. Um, but the reality was they went out and because they were within a very, very short period of time, those five kings and their armies were all defeated and Lot and his family and the kings of, the, of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities they were all put back into their rightful place. And Abraham demonstrates in his growth. Now, he's not a young man, but he had learned enough about God and enough about leadership that he had learned enough that Sodom, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, said, hey, you can have all of the wealth, but thank you for bringing us back to our king. You can have it all. And yet, Abraham turns around and he says... I'm happy for our men to have a bit of a feed because they're hungry and these guys, they need a lot. Um, But I don't want any of your wealth. You can have the lot because I don't want you, king of Sodom, to ever believe that Abraham, the man of God on a mission, got his wealth because he won a battle for you. This wealth has come because of that covenant blessing from Genesis 12 that we read about that God would provide for their needs and bless them. The next incredible thing that happens for them is, and if you've got your Bibles there, it's excellent, because Melchizedek, which would be just a great name for a son, any, any mums and dads out wanting to have kids, good name, Melchizedek. Uh, Genesis 14, verses 19 and 20, Melchizedek, good name, you guys, Melchizedek blessed Abraham with this blessing. The word blessed means happy. It's actually to pour happiness onto someone. Blessed be Abraham or Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has defeated you and your enemies for you. Even Melchizedek knew that the true blessing, the fourth phase of Abram, God makes a covenant with Abram. If you go to Genesis 15, just jump into your Bible or your phone, have a look. Genesis 15, I want you to read these verses, well worth reading, good to have you guys. Genesis 15, have a look. It's the one time you're allowed to open your phone, it's when we read the Bible here at church. Let's have a look. Genesis 15 and verses 1 to 7. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and he said to him, Do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and I will, your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, 
What good are all these blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of his servants will be heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your, your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as a righteous man because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. Now, for 15 years, Abram or Abraham has been wandering around uh, looking at his countryside. For 15 years, he's now 90. Sorry, I need to actually work on my maths. It was never a strength. Sorry, Dave. Never a strength. Nearly 25 years. Sorry, 10 more. Uh, and his wife was nearing 90. And in Genesis chapter 22, we pick up this fact that Abraham has been promised the descendants will be like the stars of the sky. And yet, still no baby. Still no heir. It's almost dangerous, I think. He almost laughs. Perhaps he sort of laughed, but in a way that was just a bit of hurt as well. Uh, you promised this to me, Lord, and my wife is an old woman. Dangerous thing to say. Uh, she's nearly 90. 90's young, I'm thinking. Uh, but he's nearly 100. And God says to him, with God, anything is possible. His 100th year, Sarah's 90th, she gives birth to a son. 15 or 20 years later, God comes to him again and asks him to do what I would suggest would be the hardest thing in the world for any parent to do. It's not found in Scripture on many occasions, but in this occasion, in Genesis 22, God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to take your son, the promised son, the one that you thought was impossible, Abraham. I want you to take him and I want you to take him to a special mountain. And when you get to that special mountain, I want you to take timber, and I want you to bring your knife, and I want you to take him to the top of that mountain. And when you get to the top of that mountain, I want you to prepare the ground. I want you to get all the sticks, and I want you then to sacrifice your son on that altar. And Abraham must have been thinking to himself, why, Lord? And as they're climbing up that mountain, his son turns to him and he says, Dad, we've got the timber, we've got the knife, we've got everything prepared. What about the sacrifice? And Abraham has to stop and have a conversation with his son and say, I don't know why, son, but the Lord has asked me to bring you as that sacrifice. As he is on that sacrifice, the son is prepared to give his own life. Many theologians, people who study it, pastors have preached on this, they believe that what God was asking him to do was to demonstrate the type of love that the almighty God would one day have to show for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. Abraham, the father of all the nations, he'd be the father of Jesus, 
way, way, way down the track. He was asked to do the same thing of his son. The difference for Abraham is that God was watching and God never wanted him to sacrifice his son, but God was teaching him the incredible sacrifice that he one day would have to make in the future for his son, Jesus. And as Abraham laid his son on the altar, God Almighty speaks to him. The Bible tells us, if you've got your your Bibles, in verse 9, of Genesis 22. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood in it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. The angel of the Lord in verse 15 uh, called to him for a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you've not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you and make your descendants again as numerous as the stars of the sky, the sand of the seashore, Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed because you obeyed me. I want to tell you, friends, that Abram or Abraham is an absolute biblical demonstration of what it means to do or could be doing or are doing. But I want to tell you, when you filter your life with what God can do for you as well, your life will be so much richer and the blessings that you can give your society which we live in can be so much greater. Ah, there's there's a picture. This boat here was the dedication of a boat called the Melanesia. My grandfather used to look after that boat. That boat there um, was actually sunk by the Japanese in World War II. just off Fiji, actually. And they actually brought the boat back up and they restored it, did their thing. That was in 1917. My grandfather didn't look after that boat until the early 1930s. That boat there actually saved my grandfather's life. For him and five missionaries, they were the last white people to actually leave Vanuatu and the Solomons as the Japanese were just about to invade through Vanuatu and the Solomons. That boat brought them back to Australia, to Bundaberg. Uh, That boat then nearly got blown up uh, just in Moreton Bay over here because uh, silly missionaries, uh, my grandfather in charge, actually sailed it into into Moreton Bay without any knowledge that it was full of water mines. And uh, they got into a little bit of trouble with the Australian Army, Um, but they were allowed to continue down to Sydney. But you know what? My grandfather's life uh, demonstrated to me what it's like when a person dedicates themselves 100% to the mission of God. Uh, My prayer is for each one of us today, we can be like Charles Tucker, we can be like Abraham. Include God in what that mission is that he has for your life. Thank you, Ben.
Alrighty. Um, just for us to finish off, I'm going to sing one last song. I'm pretty sure all of you know it or have heard at least some of it. Um, so please stand. You are welcome to stand for this last song.
Let's pray. God in heaven, it is wonderful um, to not only have a purpose in life, but actually to have a mission. And uh, as we have uh, looked at just very briefly this morning, we love the testimony. Some of us in our own families, we can just see it in different people. Um, Lord, for each one of us here today, we're glad that there are Bible examples of what it means and, and what it looks like uh, for someone to go on a mission for you. And Lord, for a lot of our young people here who are either just finishing school or perhaps at university or, or getting close towards the end of school, we, we definitely pray for them. We pray over their lives, especially our year 12, especially uh, some of our uni guys that have just finished and they're about to embark on careers. We just pray for them, Lord, that uh, you will not only give them the purpose and desire of a potential career or a job in the future, but to also have that missional purpose of being able to do something for you. Now, Lord, give us a wonderful day today. It's my prayer. Amen.